And there's a bunch of different things you could talk about. There's various verses throughout the Psalms that talk about a father and their children. Uh, you could look at, you know, how different fathers throughout Scripture treated their children. And I thought about this for, for a while, trying to figure out what is it, God, that you want me to, to preach about? Because ultimately that's what matters. Not what I want to preach about, it's what he wants to preach. And so I, I, I went and I, was, I had like six or seven um, tabs open on, on, on my Google Chrome, on my computer in the office with different passages of scripture. And I'm reading through them and I'd read through one and I'd go, no, that's not it. And you exit out of that one and you read through the next one and no, that's not it. And you exit out of that one. And finally I came to this one and I went, boy, I feel like I've preached this before. It has not been in the past couple of years. I know that because I can check because I keep all of my sermons. So if anyone in here is like, I heard him preach this. It's been a couple of years. It's okay. We're going to talk about today the prodigal son, but we're going to focus more on the, the father in this. Now, this, of course, is a tale, uh, a parable that Jesus tells. This specific thing did not take place, but stories like this in reality have taken place for thousands of years since there have been fathers that were good fathers and children who were not good children and those children who figure it out eventually. And none so as important as, and, and we won't read this part specifically, but this, this whole passage is Jesus explaining God, the father, essentially, right? We're the child who ran away from home. We took our inheritance and left, yada, yada, yada. You know, you've probably, most of you in here have probably heard a sermon preached through this before, maybe many times. But I think it's a beautiful glimpse into what a real father is and how God the Father sees us. And I think it's appropriate for Father's Day. It's a long passage. It's longer than what I normally would read. So strap in. If you grabbed your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 15. Uh, and if you didn't bring your Bibles, it's, of course, on the screens as always. We are in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And it reads, he said, a man who had two sons... The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. 
And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. If you grabbed a bulletin and therefore have a note sheet, number one on your note sheets, the love of a father. The love of a father. I am now um, 28 years old. I'll be 29 um, in September. And um, a good father recognizes the fact that there comes a time especially in a son's life, but in their kids' lives in general, to um, let that kid go be themselves. I remember um, this was uh, during my sophomore year of college. I would come home on, on breaks, right, and stuff like that, random weekends, stuff like that, right? And I was home on a Christmas break, and uh, apparently uh, 20-year-old Sam was being a bit ornery. I don't believe it for one second, but apparently it was happening. And apparently, I was being um, somewhat disrespectful to my mom. If there's one thing that does not stand in my father's household, it is that you do not disrespect your mother. That is his wife. You do not disrespect her, or you deal with him. It's a good rule to have. So, over Christmas break, he took me outside and uh, just beat me senseless. No, that's not true. He took me outside and said, you're being, um, I forget what word he used, probably disrespectful, something like that, right? To your mom, what's going on? This isn't like you. I'm, 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 I'm not perfect. I've been disrespectful to my mom before. But that wasn't the pattern that I had. And he said, what's going on? And I said, I don't want to upset you and mom, but I don't want to be home. I said, it's not that I don't love you guys. It's not that I don't love being home. But I like being independent even more. I like to come home. I like to hang out with you guys. And then I like to go back to my dorm room where I set my sleep schedule, what I watch, what I eat, all that kind of stuff. I was 20 years old, and while I was an idiot, I had figured out that I liked being a man. And my dad said, good. If you told me all you wanted to do was come home, we'd have a problem. That doesn't give you the right to be disrespectful to your mom. You see, what my dad was trying to teach me there and various other things throughout my life is that there comes a point where you can no longer just protect your children. They have to make their own mistakes. They have to be their own person. For some, it happens earlier in life. For some, it happens later. Right? I can remember uh, when I graduated high school, my dad said, okay, you're going to pay your phone bill now. You can stay on our phone plan so that you don't have to pay a billion dollars a month, but you're going you're gonna to send us a check or, or, you know, whatever, cash, whatever, every month you're going to pay your phone bill. And then the next year it was, okay, I want you to pay your phone bill and your portion of the health insurance, okay? And then the next year I started to drive, and he said, great, you can be on our insurance. 
you will pay your portion of the insurance. I was very thankful because at that time I was like 21-year-old male. And if you've ever been a 21-year-old male trying to pay car insurance, good luck. So I was very thankful because instead of paying like 200 plus dollars a month, it was like 60 bucks a month. So that by the time I graduated college, I was paying all of my bills, but I was not graduating college and the world went, here's all of your bills. You've done no, you have no responsibility, right? He was training and teaching because he recognized this son of mine, while he will always be my son, I cannot be the protector of him in that way forever. He must learn to be a man. He must grow up. In the same way, the father in this story could have said, no. I know all you're going to do is, he knows his son, all you're going to do is squander your money. You're just going to squander it off. I'm not giving you that. You're not wise enough yet. You haven't seen enough of life yet. But instead he goes, okay, fine. You'll break my heart. I know what you're going to do with this. But I cannot protect you forever. I cannot have my thumb on you forever. And he lets him go. And of course, what happens? He squanders all his money. Right? I remember when I was in kids' church, they talked about how, oh, he would have friends and throw parties. We read here, he had different types of friends. Throwing different kinds of parties than what they talked about in kids' church makes sense. You usually don't use the term prostitutes with five-year-olds. Just saying. But the fact of the matter is that he squanders all of it, so much so that he's, he's penniless, he's eating pig slop, and he says, I'll go home. And not, notice, not ask to become my father's son again. He says it twice. I am not worthy to be called your son. And he recognizes it. He knows it. He is messed up big time. But it's in this moment where we see the real love of a father. Because when he's a long way off, what happens? The father doesn't go, yes, you come running to me. I am the father. I will. No. He runs to his son. Because his son, who he thought very well might just be dead. I don't mean penniless. I mean dead. Has come home. And there's nothing more important than that. There's going to be consequences. There's going to be things with this son, right? Father's probably not just going to give him a bunch of money anymore. But the son is home. We see this, that we oftentimes when we talk about parental units, that it's the mother who is the, 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 the loving, gracious, merciful one, and it's the father who's the, the tough guy, right? And that was true, even in, in my household bringing up. Dad was the bad guy. He was the one who laid down the, the disciplines. He was the one, right, stuff like that. I've said it before, I didn't really fear mom. I feared the one who stood behind mom that I'd have to deal with if I wronged mom. Sometimes that's better than being the one that's feared, actually. But, I, but, but what a real father does, and my dad would do this too, right? I don't want to give a bad impression that my dad was a horrible father. He was not. Is he knows when it's time to show grace and mercy. And when it's time to have a heavy hand. You see, here comes his son running back. And it's obvious from the jump, this is a repentant son who knows he has done wrong. He's not looking for another handout. He just wants to be treated like a servant. That's it. And his father knows it is not a heavy hand that this kid needs. It is my love and my grace and my mercy. And God the Father is the same way. 
Every time you sin, you should have a heavy hand of God placed upon you in discipline. And yet, it is almost always grace and mercy. Almost always. Now, every kid is different, right? I'm one of four. I'm the youngest of four. And um, I always used to look at what um, Nathan would get away with, my older brother. I was always like, he, he gets away with so much junk. What the heck? And me over here, I, st I put one little foot out of line. And it's like I have, you know how, how um, um, the prophets would call down fire from heaven? It's what it felt like was happening to me. As I grew up and grew older, I realized something very, very important. My brother Nathan, when you try to have this really heavy hand on him, he just clams up. He doesn't learn a thing. He just becomes this, this turtle in a shell. He goes into protection mode. Me, on the other hand, if you try to have this nice, soft, loving, gracious, merciful hand with me, I go, oh, you're weak. I'll take another step. When I was in high school, I always had to figure out, I would pick out which teacher was the, the strictest. And then I would push that boundary and just keep pushing it. Because if I knew if I never crossed their line, I would never cross anybody else's line either. And so I only really crossed a line once and uh, got my head yelled at at a marching parade. It was great. I had a great time. Um, but either way, I understood, I, I understand now that with me, you had to be, not, not show grace and mercy, because I am sure there were many, 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 countless times that especially my mom would go, dear, take a breath. You need to discipline him, but maybe, just maybe, not quite that far. I'll give you a for instance of when, when he had to be fairly heavy-handed with me. Summer before ninth grade, 2009. So we're looking at like August of 2009. We moved to, our, to our, the house that they, they live in now. And um, mom had a laptop. We were not allowed to use mom's laptop. It was, you know, but we didn't have TV and stuff yet because we were moving still. We were in that whole process. And so I decided one day, well, they were gone, I was going to use mom's laptop to watch something, probably on YouTube, but it doesn't matter. I watched, and uh, I was not paying enough attention, and somebody got home and found out. This was in late July that this occurred, and I know this because in August of, 20, of 2009, I was allowed to do two things. I could read. And I could listen to the radio. Every other piece of technology was gone. If all of us were sitting down watching something, you know, like we like to watch uh, uh, NASCAR back then, right? If we were all sitting watching NASCAR, I could do it. If we were all going to, if we were going to have a family movie night, I could watch that movie. But if Nathan was down in the living room watching something, I couldn't be in the living room. Because that was not a family watching event. We lived in the middle of nowhere. I had to have, I had a radio, uh, like a CD player with a radio on it, and I had like three feet of aluminum foil off of that antenna sticking out my window so that I could just get Froggy 101. And some days I couldn't get it. I read the Lord of the Rings trilogy six times that month. You all say, why does he love the Lord of the Rings so much? Because I read it six times in one month. 
he had to be heavy handed with me. But this father recognizes it's not a heavy hand that my son needs right now. He needs my grace, my love, my mercy over him because my son, which I thought was dead, has returned home. The love of a father that understands sometimes it is not tough love that is needed. Sometimes it is soft love, if you will. And a good father recognizes that. Number two on your note sheets, number two. The wisdom of a father. You see, a good father is not just loving. That's a piece of it. It's not just loving, though. He is also wise, right? We talk about, um, we talked about before the roles of husbands and fathers and men and stuff in relationships, that sort of thing. I'm not going to fully preach that because, boy, we'd be here a long time. Uh, and this passage of Scripture doesn't talk about that, really. But the fact of the matter is that in the household... The Bible says that men are supposed to be the head, not the overruler monarch that just rules with an iron fist, but they are supposed to be the spiritual head of their household. And we see that here with this father. I mentioned it already. He welcomes him home with open arms, the wisdom to understand what his son needs in that moment. It's not just love. There's a wisdom in it. And then we really see the wisdom of this father as it pertains to his elder son. So his older son, right? I would liken this. She's not in here right now, so I can make fun of her. She might be listening. We'll find out. My other sister, she's the eldest of the four of us, Linnea. She normally sits right there. She's in the nursery right now. Um, I can picture her being like this. I love my sister to death. I would do anything for her. But my sister can tend to be a little bossy sometimes. And she has said to me, you got away with so much, you have no idea what you got away with when I was your age. I never got away with that stuff. And I said, be the favorite. I don't know what to tell you. No, that's not true. I did tell her, though, that generally, generally, uh, parents have kids until they have one they actually like and then they stop. Here we are. No. But I understand, and I'm just making fun of Linnea, I understand, because I would be this way too, the, the indignation. You've been the good kid. You've done everything, you're not perfect, but you've done everything that your father has asked of you. You're working in the fields, you are doing everything, and here comes the idiot kid back to town. The one who broke your father's heart back to town, and he gets to have the party? How is that fair? And if I had looked at my dad one day and said, Dad, how is that fair? What would have been the response? We are not at the fair. I wisened up to that, and at the Hartford Fair one year, he said that, and I said, but we are, and he went, life's not fair, get over it. And I went, well, that's not fair. God is not interested in fairness. If he was, you would be in hell right now. He's not interested in fair. If he was, you and I would be just awful, be in a terrible place. God is interested in loving us. Now, he had to make the way, right? It's not just, oh, well, I love you, so I'll just forgive what you did. No, there must be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. He did that on the cross. But I get it when this older son is peeved, and I think rightfully so. It isn't fair. In the slightest, it's not fair. But we see the wisdom of the father in this. He goes, kid, son, let me teach you a very important lesson. 
You have been with me since the beginning. All that I have is yours. You get to experience everything in my household. Everything. So one, you have no reason to complain. That's what he's doing. You have no reason to complain. But two, your brother who was lost has been found. And that is greater than anything that's happened. I'm going to step aside from the current sermon I'm preaching and, and just explain this passage because I think it's really important for us as believers to understand. How many of, in, of you in here have been, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, okay? Just think. Uh, have been a believer for what you would consider the majority of your life, right? You just think about that. I am. I got saved when I was like six years old. I'm now 28, so 20, 22 years now. Those of us that have been saved the majority of our lives... We're the older sibling. We're the ones who have experienced the grace, the love, the mercy, the blessings of the Father for years upon years upon years upon years. The people that come later, they're the younger, who've turned their back on God, and yet he welcomes them back with open arms, running to meet them. And it can be, like, it can be kind of hard Sometimes for us who have been believers for a long time because you go, now time out, God. I have dedicated years, decades to you. They were at the bar yesterday. How dare they? How can you let them in? What about me, God? And he says, time out. I extended grace and love and mercy to you daily. Why shouldn't I extend it to them? It's just a slap in the face. Too often we believers get really prideful about our standing with God when the fact of the matter is whether you just joined him yesterday or 50 years ago, your standing with him is no different. You're just his child now. That's what he's saying here. But as we see with the father, back to the actual sermon, we see the wisdom of the father. He understands this dynamic and how to deal with it. I've said this many, many, uh, uh, many times that with my dad, uh, He's one of the he he is one of the few people that I trust to go and ask questions of, whether it's about life, about what I should do, um, stuff like that, because I, I I trust his wisdom on things. One, he's lived he's old he's lived a lot of life. Two, he's done a lot of dumb things in his life, so I assume he's learned a lesson or two. But three, I know he's studied and gotten close to God throughout his life, so I trust his judgment on matters. I trust other people's judgment as well, but um, none of them are my dad. So we're supposed to grow in wisdom, and as we grow, we see it. And here's the thing. I said it there in the last one. The reason, the real reason I trust his wisdom is because I know it comes from here. It's not because well, what I experienced. It comes from the Bible. A good father, their wisdom comes because they know the father. The amount of times that I've gone, when I've talked to mom or dad or somebody else, and we, you know, we're wrestling through what should we do, you just got to do what the Bible says, which means it's probably going to go hard. It's not going to be easy, but that's what you've got to do. You see, we see in this whole story these two aspects, two of the aspects, that make a really good father. They are loving, beyond compare, in a different way than a mother loves, yes but they are loving and they are wise in a different way than a, than a woman is wise, than a mom is wise. There were certain things when I was growing up I would talk to mom about, certain things I'd go talk to dad about, 
and certain things that I didn't think I was going to talk to either of them about. And then we'd be in the kitchen cooking, and mom would go, so who's insert girl's named here? And I'd go, what the heck? How did you know about her? That's not fair. She'd be like, I have eyes everywhere. And I'm like, mm -mm. whatever. Thought I was going to get away with this. And when I was in mid late middle school throughout high school, I was going to say some of high school. That's not true. High school um, and probably some of college. There, it, was like, it was like Baskin Rob Robbins, a new flavor every week, you know? There was just a new girl every week that I was like, she's cute. What about her? I got lucky. God didn't let me be an idiot, and I married the best one that I said, what about her? She's not in here. She's dealing with the kids. Ha. Huh. Man, I did so well last week, too. Oh, and it's just gone. Okay, let's apply it, shall we? We're just going to jump to there. Let's apply it. As a father, I'm not a father. I'm not saying, as a father, let me tell you what to do. No, I'm not a father. This is not me announcing Maddie is pregnant, okay? Let's put those, those uh, uh, thoughts to bed right now. But what I'm saying is, as a father, if you are a father, okay, or a grandfather for that matter, right, I challenge you to show love and wisdom. My dad often talks about, especially when it comes to kids, right, are they being childish or are they being bad? And too often we punish childishness. Understand the difference as a father. Your father should be, and mine was, yes, the disciplinarian, and yeah, I, I, I had a healthy fear and respect of my dad. I've talked about it before. I had a 10 o'clock curfew, which did not mean you're getting home at 10 o'clock. It meant you were home by 10 o'clock. In the house, back with the family by 10 o'clock. I never once broke that curfew, probably because I remembered what happened when I went on a computer I wasn't supposed to be on. Right? Be the disciplinarian. But I also trusted my dad, and I knew, I never want to write people talk about, well, if your father told you to jump out of the burning house, would you do it? Yes. Without hesitation. Because I trusted my dad. Fathers, show love and wisdom in your families. Whether you're dealing with your kids, whether you're dealing with your wife, whether you're dealing with other people, love and wisdom. Be the sort of man that when you're talked about, people talk about you as if you're something mythical, right? I've mentioned him a lot before. You people, a lot of you people in here will know him, whether it's somebody like a Dick Cook or somebody like that, right? You know him, and he's almost mythical in a lot of ways, right? People like that, these men that, I'm not saying they never got angry, right? I'm not saying they weren't perfect. They, they weren't. But when you hear about them and you talk about them, people go, hmm, yeah. Be that sort of father. And secondly, today, to everyone else, be very thankful for your fathers. We live in a society that is desperately trying to downplay the role of men, desperately trying to downplay the role of fathers in everything. Fathers are needed. They give an aspect to life that cannot be gotten through a mother. They just can't. Be very thankful. Whether you have a good father, like I do. I almost said did, but he's not dead. He's back there. 
Whether you have a good father or not, there are men in your life, and if there aren't men in your life, may I suggest trying to find one? Men in your life who act in that fatherly way. Yes, they don't reprimand you anymore, but they show that love and that wisdom to lead you and guide you. That strength. So today, excuse me, today, go out of your way to say thank you. Go out of your way to say thank you to the fathers in your life, whether they're biological or not. One, you never know when they're not going to be there anymore. Two, they deserve it. And three, oftentimes, right, on Mother's Day, they get all this nice stuff. And it's great. And I'm sure, maybe I'm not sure. I believe women like it. Generally, fathers just kind of are a thankless job. It's just expected of them. So today, say thank you in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's, I don't know, buying a mistake and then not cooking it for them, let them do it. There are some people in this room, God bless you, I would never let you near a cut of meat that I wanted to eat. Cool red center, people, 120 degrees, a nice sear on the outside. That's what you're looking for. Some of you people in here are like, I like shoe leather. Whatever it is, maybe they just want to sit on the couch and take a nap. Fathers are really good at sitting down on the couch and saying, I'm just going to rest my eyes. And then and then you reach for the remote. And I'm watching that. Okay, sure you are, Dad. Sure you are. What lap are they on? I don't know. It's not started yet. Dad, it's 8 o'clock at night. The race is over. I'm watching that. Yeah, sure you are. Say thank you to a dad. This, I was going to say this morning. This morning's almost over. It's only 10.30. I've got another like 15 minutes. I don't. Say thank you to your fathers this morning, to a father this morning, whether they're a new father or an old father or somewhere in between, whether they were perfect or not. Well, no. Even though they're not perfect, you say thank you anyway. Happy Father's Day from us here at FBC. Um, would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you that you give us this incredible example of how a father should be. Of the love that a father bestows. Of the wisdom that a father should have. And yeah, it takes time, right, to grow in that. I'm not saying that the moment you become a father, you become the wisest person. Not at all. It takes time. I understand that. But I thank you for the men in our lives who are wanting and willing to stand up and say, whether I'm your biological father or not, I will help lead, I will help guide. I will be a, a source of strength, a source of comfort. I will be a source of spiritual guidance in your life. I thank you for that, Father. And I thank you ultimately for you, that you are our good, good father, as we sang this morning. You are an incredible father to us, that show us love and grace and mercy every time when we never have deserved it. I praise you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen.